0: Hello and welcome back to Sharp Scratch. You're listening to episode 82, Being Out of Your debts. This is a podcast brought to you by the BMJ and sponsored by Medical Protection, where medical students, junior doctors and expert guests come together and discuss all the things you need to know to be a good doctor, but that you might not get taught in medical school. I'm Pat, I'm a fourth-year medical student at Anger Ruskin University, and so recently I worked at the BMJ as the editorial scholar, looking after all the content that BMJ student produced last academic year. And if you listened to our last episode, you might remember our new editorial scholar, Charlotte.
1: Yeah, hi everyone, I'm Charlotte, and I just finished my fifth year of medicine at the University of Oxford. Um, I'm now taking a year out of medical school to come and work at the BMJ as the new editorial scholar, which is really exciting.
0: Yeah, definitely, it's great having you. And I'm also glad to be joined by our friend Kaode.
2: Hello, I'm Kaode. I am no longer a final year medical student at the University of Dundee, the Sunniest City in Scotland. I am now an FY1 working in South Thames, which is yeah. I think this I think this is the perfect episode for me, um, feeling out of your debt. <laughs> yeah.
0: Is that like nervous laughter or
2: um I think take from it what you will
0: okay <laughs> yeah it's great having you and um it's pretty special then uh, to have you um as a doctor for the i mean this is your first strap scratch episode as a doctor which is great yeah, yeah thanks for joining us uh, I'm also delighted to introduce our expert guest today, Dr. Jenny Rasenathan.
3: Yeah, hi, I'm Jenny Rasanathan. I'm a family medicine doctor. I am originally from the United States. Uh, I'm currently based in Geneva, Switzerland, but I've practiced in general practice in both the, in all of, excuse me, the US, Cambodia, and New Zealand. Thank you for joining us. Absolutely. And I should also say I'm a clinical editor for the BMJ, so you didn't just find me somewhere on the street. <laughs>
0: So, as the adage goes, see one, do one, teach one. With most things, you probably need to practice more than once to be good at something. Whether you're starting your first post as a junior doctor or your first clinical placement, there'll be times when you're asked to do something beyond the limits of your competence. And it's relevant to all clinicians as well. As the COVID-19 pandemic demonstrated, many doctors were required to work in unfamiliar surroundings or circumstances uh, or in clinical fields other than their own. So I thought in this episode, we could talk about what should you do when you've been asked to work outside of your capabilities, how to say no, and whether one ever feels confident for everything else of you as you become a more experienced doctor. Um, And yeah, and Karida, you said um, in the beginning that you started working as a junior doctor recently. Have you had any uh, experiences yet of uh, being out of your depth?
2: Um, I would say I feel out of my depth every day, um, <laughs> but um, just before we started recording, I was already telling you guys that um, I quite like my hospital. I do feel quite well supported. Mm-hmm. There's always a senior around to like bounce things um, off of, just to, like check you're doing the right thing. Um, like for me, it's a big leap from medical school to being a doctor. I think mm-hmm. as a medical student, I was a bit more confident in like my management of different situations because my words didn't really have that much weight so i could confidently say oh yeah this is a management plan but knowing that no one is actually going to do it so i can afford to be wrong whereas as a doctor i'm just thinking okay i can't afford to be wrong i need to be very very sure so i remember like on day one literally asking someone to check my fluids prescription just to be like hi can you please check that i've done this right and like now I'm just thinking, oh, fluids, oh, it's just, it's something um, relatively low risk. Like, d- But I think when you're not feeling sure, um, it's always the safe and best thing to just double check with someone. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing. And I do feel like I'm learning. Like I've had, um, even in the month that I've been working as a doctor, probably le- actually less than a month even, That I've been working as a doctor, I've seen the same scenarios pop up over and over again. And the first time I saw it, I I, I definitely needed someone to hold my hand through it. And then the next time I saw it, I was able to manage it by myself. And the next time I saw it, I think I maybe have, I I might have taught a medical student. So yeah, so it's been, it's been good in that way. It has generally been see one, do one, teach one in some Mm -hmm. (laughs) situations.
0: And how about you, Jenny? Have you um I mean you've been a, a doctor for a, quite a long time, but um when you have to move from country to country, have you ever um had situations where you had to um where you felt a little bit out of your depth or maybe have to adapt to the um the local medical culture or practice?
3: Yeah, absolutely. But I also just wanted to comment on what uh Coyote said, which is that um sometimes I- I've seen kind of um clinical topics or or problems kind of come in these supernatural clusters so a patient will come in with something and i you know need to brush up on how to handle that in whatever health system i'm working in and then that same day i'll have or maybe later that week you know two more of similar cases and so i find that that kind of clustering is a gift in terms of reinforcing learning doesn't always happen that way. Um, But absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, there's this piece about when you move into a new setting, when you advance in your career, when you take on a new role, you have to, you know, for me, the primary question and kind of what I'm concerned about is how to get things done, right? Like, like we all have tasks that we have to do, In order to progress that patient care and so you know i'm always interested in trying to quickly understand the system and how to get things done but there's definitely another or several other pieces here which is around our own knowledge Um, and that can be context specific certainly for me that's been the case
2: that is so interesting I guess the different types of feeling out of depth and in terms of like knowledge there's like clinical knowledge which is being a lot of the time and then there's also there's also system knowledge so I like several times over the last few weeks I have thought oh if I just stayed in Dundee I wouldn't be having this problem. Like I had a situation where I had to get like a hematology referral or, or something like that. And if I was in Dundee, I would have I, I known exactly who the hematology registrar was. Probably have been been out with them sometime or whatever and just like gone up and spoken to them if I wasn't able to bleep them. But here I just, I kept on bleeping and calling different numbers and I wasn't able to get through. Only, to, only towards like, a few hours later finding out that the office was just above the stairs um and I could have just (laughs) (laughs) gone up to talk to them really quickly and it was a task that could have taken five minutes but it was something that Mm. took a few hours of like checking repeatedly in the middle of doing other things and that could have saved a lot of trouble if I had just asked someone what is the best way to contact hematology and they'd have been like oh just go up to the office it's just upstairs but i didn't think that but yeah i think that's really interesting
3: for sure and i think there is something to be said on that note about kind of mentorship um and so in my role at bmj right now i review all the rapid responses and i'm part of the editorial team that makes decisions on letters to the editor and we had one um earlier this week that We will publish eventually as a letter uh, talking about this time of kind of new entrance into the hospital system in August in the UK and July in in the US. And it's kind of a perennial topic, but this responder's point was that mentorship is not only about, you know, signing off on your management plan or, you know, Check, you know double checking physical exam findings it is also about providing some of that institutional knowledge about how to get things done how you need to like understanding the system and helping you know even where to get the best coffee in the hospital
0: essentials exactly yes. I think we've spoken about um, getting used to the new working environment where you're starting out at a new role, at a new hospital, or a new country. But how about, like, say, um, when you're on a night shift and you're still kind of junior member of the team, and you know you kind of need help with a procedure that you've now been asked to do, but you know maybe you've done it once before and probably not too confident uh, about doing it maybe independently. Um, yeah, I, I suppose like, how would you approach that? when you feel that you've done it before, but I don't know, would you still feel confident to do it independently?
2: Um, So I'm about to have my first set of nights this weekend. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thankfully, I haven't been put in a situation where I've been concerned about any procedural skills because I do remember when I was my fourth year of medical school, I had this really, really super helpful FY1 who told me, get good at the basic procedures now. So that way, wherever you are in F1, that's something you're going to have to do. So mm-hmm. I spent the fourth and fifth year getting good at cannulas, bloods, catheters, all that kind of stuff. So I haven't... Nice. I thankfully haven't had that problem. Um, I do, I do remember when I was doing a surgical twilight shift which like starts at four finishes at 11 p.m um i got one of the nurses asked me to change um a catheter for um a patient um who had like um a history of like prostate cancer and stuff and it was a three-way catheter and the nurses weren't confident in doing it I, i think with stuff like that i think it's always good to go back to basics um so i know how to put in a catheter i've i have um been supervised changing a three-way catheter before and i know and i knew it's no it's no different to a two-way catheter it just like the balloon is slightly bigger or something like that so i was able to confidently just go and do it um i think as an f1 you're not really going to be asked to do that many complex procedures overnight anyway so that's that's something that um I would say has been my saving grace. Like I have assisted someone who changed a chest drain, but I don't think anyone expects me to be the person changing a chest drain. So this sounds really bad, but I do think the expectation of what you do as an F1 is not as big or as immense as we think it is. I think anything that is like really complicated that you wouldn't have seen in medical school, you're probably not the person that's going to be doing it anyway. So I wouldn't worry. And yeah, I also think no's a full sentence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that is really reassuring, actually. I think as medical students, it's really easy to look at the F1s and think, wow, I'm going to have to do so many complicated things and it's going to be really scary and I'm going to feel out of my depth. But actually hearing that is just is quite reassuring. So
2: it, cuz it's weird cuz i, I cuz i when i was changing that three way catheter i had a medical student with me and yeah just like trying to teach her about catheters and i was like i was literally a medical student a few weeks ago um <laughs> but i by by but i think for me where I'm lacking in maybe clinical knowledge I'm quite I'm, I'm okay procedurally but that's because I listened to that good advice I got in fourth year and just practiced doing all those things over and over and over again that I can now take time with this other stuff that I'm not so good at which I would say is like the clinic well I wouldn't say I'm not good I'm not as confident with um which is like all the clinical stuff and management plans just making sure that I'm correct. Yeah, F one is not as scary as some people say it is. I think it's okay.
3: I just want to echo the point as well about kind of trying as much as possible to know your own strengths and limitations, and to tr- and you know the imperative to be honest about where you are. Um, and this can be challenging, right? I remember, I will never forget. In fact, this really memorable night shift with um, a co-resident who ended up being my best friend in my residency program. Um, and we had a patient who came in very sick with hyponatremia and we worked in a low income setting. And a lot of times we would get very sick patients to our ward who probably in another place would have been in an intensive care, uh, ward. And, you know, we manage her on our floor for several scary hours. And, you know, in the morning, uh, we had a really long kind of uh conversation with the rest of our team about how that that you know was not appropriate for ward management, and that is an experience that I've definitely taken with me in terms of rec- trying to be as honest as possible about what you can do, what you can't do, and when you need help, and and asking for that help when you need it.
0: No, that's really good advice because I think at medical school we, all, we also get taught as well. Um... Like when you start working as an F1, don't ever be scared to um rain, double, two, double, two, or like the crash team. Um, if you need help, because I think, um, at the end of the day, if you're doing something that um is good for the patient, I don't think anyone will ever blame you for oh my god, um, why didn't you check, I don't know, this stats or uh, bloods. Um, I think, I think, at the, yeah, you're all working as a team to try to um, uh, improve the patient care. I
2: think, yeah. Mm. And I think for me, the most and um, the one thing I really appreciated about my medical school is that we had our finals at the end of fourth year, so in our fifth and final year, um there was no pressure to know absolutely everything. And I think that year of no pressure of exams really I guess hammered home to me like the whole point of medicine and working as a doctor. Um, nobody knows everything. Um that's in that's literally impossible. Um so Jenny was just saying, even as a consultant or attending whatever word you want to use to describe that senior clinician, there will be times that um you you're not too sure about things um i've been in theater with like a consultant's colorectal surgeon whilst i was a medical student and she was getting taught by some by one of the other consultants how to use um a new surgical implement so i think it is genuinely about lifelong learning and i don't think there's any shame in asking those questions because you're not being tested for an exam so if you get it wrong that's fine but i think the important part is that you didn't get it wrong on a human being um when you could have just asked someone else someone to like clarify what you're doing like i like i'm becoming more confident in dealing with sick patients and i've seen the patients done my assessment have a good idea about what i'm going to do and i've just run it through run it by my sho really quickly it's like oh i've done this 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 and this um Am I am am I headed along the right track? Is this the right thing to do? And thankfully, eighty five percent, ninety percent of the time, they said, "Yeah, that's the right thing to do." Good, and that's been good for my own confidence.
3: I couldn't agree with you more on that. I think it is really critical to ask. And one thing that I've done over the years has been to kind of build up, this sounds really cheesy, but to kind of build up a community of practice or a circle of colleagues who I trust and support and who I can ask questions to um, when I need just kind of a gut check or an evidence check where things are unclear. Um, so when I started practicing in Cambodia, I had this kind of group of colleagues from across my training, um, who, who, you know, we were all literally on a WhatsApp group and, you know, I would, uh, kind of consult the audience, so to speak. Um, and that's been really helpful just to know that you have people who, who you can be really honest with about, you know, your areas where your medical knowledge or experience is lacking and who can provide some kind of experience about a number of different ways that things might be done. So that, that's that been one strategy for me that I think is really helpful. And not to repeat the over-repeated cliche of the importance of reading, but that has been another, you know, key thing for me to support Beginning to practice in a different health system or a different country. Has just been read, read, read about the specific guidelines that apply to your patients in that setting. Um, I think, you know, the UK has this whole body of UK-specific guidance, but that does not exist in a lot of other places. Uh, it does exist in New Zealand, and I really had to be careful about um, referencing and cross-referencing all of those New Zealand-specific guidelines, at the same time wanting my patients to see that I wasn't just just googling for the answers Um, it was in fact you know making sure that i'm providing the highest level of care um but sometimes in some settings those guidelines just don't exist depending on the problem and so that there again i think it's helpful to have a group of people who you really respect and trust to kind of um bounce your thoughts off on
0: we'll talk a little bit more about being out of your depth but that'll be right after this message from our sponsor
4: Indemnity. You've probably not given it much thought, but it won't be long until the risk of claims and patient complaints becomes all too real. Whatever lies ahead, you need experts in your corner who offer indemnity and a whole lot more. That's why it pays to be with medical protection. There's our free membership during your medical school years, our wealth of training resources to help you become the best doctor you can be, and our international experience that protects you during your elective, no matter how far from home you end up. In fact, there are many reasons why our members worldwide trust us to support and protect them throughout their careers. And if you're looking for one more, every week one lucky new joiner wins £200. That's the average student weekly spend. Just join for free and you're automatically entered into the draw. That's why UK medical students choose to be part of Medical Protection. You can't blame them, so why not join them? Visit medicalprotection.org to find out more.
0: As like we've spoken about, um, like how to deal with being out of your depth, and you know, asking your peers to you know gut check um, management and diagnoses. I was just wondering if there's a case to be made about maybe being too comfortable with seeing maybe like the same pattern of things that you you know the go to management will be um, treatment A. Um, you just go straight to treatment A when you've uh, ever encountered the same pattern of pathology. Um, yeah, I was just wondering if. Maybe there's ever um, a time when that would catch you out. So, kind of like the opposite of being out of your depth, like you're being too comfortable.
2: That's a harsh question, Pat. Very, very harsh, very harsh. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> that just came <laughs> up. I'm sorry. Um, I see that happening. Um, and I think it's just one, one of those things that I don't know if you guys had this in medical school, but like we had sessions about like diagnostic and clinical reasoning and, you know, just having to like start broad and then hone in hone in on the sy- symptoms and I think doctors are human beings so doctors are liable to make mistakes and one thing I've always thought about but never actually necessarily vocalized is medicine is almost like a game of probabilities so, so, so it's kind of like when you give someone a diagnosis I don't know if there are any diagnoses you can make that we've Complete one hundred percent certainty, I feel like you're saying, oh, it's most likely this thing, and we're giving you this management plan or slash treatment, and it worked, but I don't know if we can say it was one hundred percent definitely this diagnosis that the doctor told you it was, but that that's just like my own weird um broad um philosophical. Um, thinking about medicine but I don't know yeah
3: I think you're right I actually increasingly think that myself I try to be really mindful of the kind of biases that I bring to a patient encounter based on recent patient experience as well this idea that I've seen this pattern before I've seen a patient with this constellation or indeed I've in my own personal life be it a symptom in myself or a family member have seen this. Therefore, this is what you must have. Um, I try to be really mindful of that and perhaps even be extra cautious when something seems like it might be a thing I've witnessed in uh, my personal life. Um, Just to keep that differential really open, make sure you're kind of covering your bases. Um, And and I've also just kind of, been one to follow up with patients uh, who I might not have followed up with. So if there's something that you think is a possibility, um, either scheduling follow-up to make sure or providing that safety net guidance that, you know, if this doesn't improve in whatever reasonable time frame, you know, please feel free to get back to me or I shoot them an email just to make sure that our biased guessing on probabilities hasn't uh, led us astray.
0: And just out of curiosity, do you find yourself having to like recalibrate every time you move to a different country or a different hospital, like they have different, I don't know, yeah, guidelines or medical culture?
3: Absolutely. Um, I think the settings where I've practiced have been so different um, that there's just been a really steep learning curve for each one, um, that systems learning the personnel learning kind of understanding um, who is out there in terms of medical resources uh, you know that was always pretty clear in the United States but when I moved to Cambodia where there really isn't much of a healthcare system in terms of infrastructure uh, you kind of had to Assemble a whole new cast of players in your head of who are my resources, who can I ask, who is a reasonable person that I might be able to refer to, and then repeating that process in New Zealand. Although I must say, for New Zealand, um, they have kind of clinical guidelines pretty similar to uh, what the UK has from Nice, and that made the transition a lot easier in terms of the availability of kind of specific guidance on who and how to refer.
0: Yeah, I suppose that like when I uh, when I asked you to come on to the uh, this episode about you know being out of your depth, I don't know if you had some
3: points that you wanted to
0: raise about uh, being out of your depth in a clinical setting.
3: I think for me, the key points that I would come back to are assembling some kind of support circle or people that you can ask, whether that's someone who's also practicing in the same setting. Or someone who has more experience than you or who you trust. Um, I would also say, you know, again, reiterate, trying to be as honest as you can about your own limitations. Uh, The importance of reading and double checking. Because it makes a big difference for me to know that I have done the best I can. And I had got really good advice before... I started practicing in Cambodia from a friend of mine. She's a Canadian nephrologist who had moved to the United States and practiced there for a while before returning to Canada. And her kind of reassurance was that patient care is almost never an isolated incident. It's always a continuing conversation. And doing the best you can with the knowledge that you have at the time of the consultation or interaction is, is one thing. And there are Um, You know, I'm sure you guys have covered this in many different ways on Sharp Scratch, but you have an opportunity later if you need to check guidelines, if you need to consult somebody, if you need to ask, or if you want to reflect on that case, to go back to the patient and say, hey, I was thinking about you and we talked about this, but I've been wondering about that. And it was very reassuring for me to hear that reminder and patients often really like hearing from you again to know that you were thinking about them and that they see that even if you say i might not have gotten something exactly right it shows them that you're being honest and i think that helps in developing uh trust in that relationship hmm.
0: yeah i would agree we'll talk a little bit more about being out of your depth but that will be right after this
5: I'm Dr Matt Morgan and alongside working as an intensive care consultant I work as part of the BMJ On Examination team to support you in passing your medical exams. You can get access to our personalised revision resource online and in our app for years 1-3 to three, totally free as well as a huge 40% discount on our medical student finals product. We'll help you pass your exams by making sure to maximise the best use of your time. We'll deliver you the most important questions, keep you on track with daily reminders and give you feedback to show how you're performing. We're committed to making revision easy, so start your journey to pass in first time today by visiting onexamination.com to sign up or by downloading the onexamination Examination app.
0: back to the show so as a result when you practice as a doctor you have you have to combine your previous experience with treating um, patients with your current medical knowledge and then push them together and see which one's the best for the patient in front of you and I suppose there's no uh, as we say all the time like there's no um, one-size-fits-all guideline for whatever that you're treating I
3: think that there are you know, certain kind of conditions and clinical scenarios where you develop more comfort over time than with others. So people coming in for a cervical smear, people coming in for some kind of vaginal discharge, like I'm a female GP. I literally get that all the time. I sometimes feel like I run a gyne clinic on those days when it's just all GYN patients. And so in those circumstances, when it is, you know, your kind of bread and butter stuff, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's important to have areas where you feel competent. Um, but the flip side is always there. And the kind of beauty but also terror of general practice is that you never know what's going to come through the door. It, it definitely prompts lifelong learning, and there are certainly areas where I'm less confident in my own skills musculoskeletal being one of the main ones I realized because those exam maneuvers <laughs> have really fallen to the wayside over time in my brain and I think that's the importance of kind of CME and accumulating a kind of rolodex of experiences over time that you can draw on but but certainly I think we all have those areas where, you know, either through repeated experience or, you know, our own interests, we, you, you have to feel good, you have to feel like you're good at something.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, definitely. I think that kind of echoes the point you, may, um, you made about um, knowing your strengths and limitations, um, and then ask for help when you need them.
2: I've, 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 got, a, I've got a question, it's like, it's a, it's a very, very broad question. Practicing in different countries is really interesting because of the laws and the legality of like different things and who's supposed to be doing what. Like, for example, in the UK, um, FY1s can't um, prescribe controlled drugs or you can't actually discharge patients or anything like that. So it's a case of um, how do you manage um, the legal, like your legal scope of practice when moving between different systems? Like, how do you know for sure that what you're doing is definitely legal like because i had a situation when um a patient was wanting to self-discharge and one of the nurses was trying to get one of my colleagues to sign the self-discharge form and we were just both like i don't know if we can do this and we didn't we waited for someone else to do it waited for a senior to do it but it was just a case of like can we do this? Can we not? And to be honest, I still don't know. I haven't actually managed to check with anyone yet. (laughs) But um, for now, I'm not doing it. But it's a case of like, how do you know? And like, what is the best way to like easily check? Um, Because legal documents aren't the most easy thing to read.
3: Not the most entertaining read.
2: No, they're not.
3: No, they're opaque at the best of times, right? I would say a couple things. Mm, The first is that every country has its own process for being registered and licensed to practice in that country. So, you know, certainly in the US, you kind of learn a little bit through, or I learned a little bit through osmosis and, and through medical school and residency, what my uh, legal rights and limitations were. And, and here, I think context really matters. So moving to Cambodia the registration process was fairly straightforward. Again, because the healthcare system there is pretty undeveloped, and they there is a real need for providers. There isn't as much of an infrastructure around national guidelines or around um, those types of things, and so. I I learned a lot from my international colleagues who were also practicing there, and this was a setting where I really fell back on, number one, asking people, and number two, deferring when something was outside of my area of expertise or comfort, because you don't want to find yourself in that situation. I don't believe I came across any uh, situation in Cambodia where I wondered about my legal rights. Uh, New Zealand is a little bit of a different story in the sense that the healthcare system is extremely developed. There are robust legal guidelines and regulations. I went through a very lengthy registration process there, uh, which includes getting to understand the cultural context of New Zealand as well as the kind of uh, legal rights and responsibilities with respect to the Medical Council. Um, And I will say, you know, New Zealand is set up, I imagine, very similar to the UK where a lot of that guidance does exist through the Medical Council. So um, I would say being as familiar as possible with the legal body that you are responsible to, um, making sure that you are reviewing materials on their websites or um asking people who who have a more in-depth knowledge of the system as you. Um but it sounds like you did the right thing.
2: Yeah. I've just sort of like adopted the if it feels funny, um <laughs> I'm gonna ask a senior. <laughs> I just got my GMC number. I'm trying to keep it for a while at least. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think they're really interesting points and and quite um that's quite a difficult thing to manage as a medical student sometimes is, is not really knowing exactly what you are and aren't allowed to do like I've definitely had situations before where doctors have asked oh can you do this yeah and it's quite difficult to know that sometimes um really hard to find the line between whether you're just nervous about something and therefore feeling a little bit wobbly about doing it or whether actually this is out of your sort of remit of what you should and shouldn't be doing um so yeah I think different med schools have different policies with that kind of thing of what you are and aren't allowed to do but be quite difficult to navigate sometimes i think
0: yeah it, especially when um med schools they have like different guidelines or policies for different years as well it's hard to keep up but yeah i guess i'll go with the mantra that Caraday mentioned like if in doubt i'll just ask someone else before doing it yeah i think that's a yeah. good
2: plan i guess <laughs> like it's, it's, it's something i've learned from chidera so i'm passing it down to you guys mm. as well um nice. she always like she always makes this when i was um, st- about to start f1 um I was just like asking her for like just general advice like casually and she just she just told me just like remember as an F1 you're in training okay you're not like you're not okay obviously you're there to work but you're you're in training like th- like your primary goal is to train and learn so just remember whoever is supervising you must teach you like they must teach you you must learn from them and but that's sort of the way I've approached um FY so far and just remembering, okay, yes, I'm a doctor now. Yes, I am getting paid. But most importantly, I'm here to learn. And I'll do, as as a learner, I will play my parts. I will do whatever reading I need to do. I'll ask questions, but I'm here to learn and I will learn as much as I can. And I'll be an absolute sponge and just absorb as much information um, from my seniors and my peers. And medical students, as well, to be fair um as as I can just so I can be better
0: <laughs> oh, that's a really positive message, um I think, to end this episode as well. um yeah, I guess before we round up this episode, is there anything else that you'd like to add?
2: um, I'll guess. One thing I've learned in F1, F1 it's not like medical school exams, where I feel like in medical school exams, you're meant to know how to like manage the entire disease process and just spout it out on the exam paper or in OSCE and do all of that very independently. Um, F1 is not like that at all. Um, yes, I am making some independence decisions, but I'm, I I wouldn't say making independence decisions about a patient's entire care um and I don't think I w- I don't think any of us will ever be doing that especially because um, like you know there's the whole MDT thing um <laughs> I feel like starting FY1 has been for me a breath of fresh air because I just I still feel overwhelmed but not as bad as I thought it would be because I don't feel like I'm by myself and just remembering that I'm learning and I'll carry on learning.
3: I would agree with that. And also just add or accentuate this element of kind of being humble about yourself as a learner and someone who is never going to have all the answers um, at one time. I think that goes a long way and I have had to kind of um, figure out my own way of being really open with patients about that, you know, I'm not from here. As you can see, I'm not from here or, um, you know, kind of being honest and humble about my limitations or kind of areas where, um, you know, I may not be completely literate in some of the cultural aspects of, of healthcare or medicine in, in a certain context. So I think being open and humble and honest about that is helpful, but also remembering that a lot of medicine is human interactions and kind of not to be, I don't know, not to make this sound too simple or not to be trite, but, you know, a smile being open being warm, compassionate, empathetic. I think all of those things also do go far in terms of at least helping someone know that they can trust you and that you will do your best to take good care of them.
0: Yeah, i definitely take this away from this episode um, and apply it in my placement. Um, As I've returned to med school last week. And yeah, and with that, and this is also the last episode I'm hosting Sharp Scratch. So it's with great joy that I'm handing over the hosting role to Charlotte.
3: Woo!
1: <laughs> thanks so much, Pat. And thanks to everyone for joining us today and for listening to Sharp Scratch. Um, that's all we have time for today. If you like our show, I'd love it if you could support us by leaving a review wherever you get your podcasts or by sharing it with the people you know. Tell your friends about it, that really helps people find the show. Please keep in touch, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, especially trends you find interesting in medicine or at med school right now. You can find us on social media, we're BMJ Student on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to hear other episodes, subscribe to Sharp Scratch wherever you get your podcasts, and in two weeks' time you'll be notified of our next episode. Until then, goodbye from us.
3: Bye. 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 Thanks goodbye. for having me on.